You know, uh, yesterday, you may not know, uh, was uh, officially Epiphany. Uh, It's not for me growing up, wasn't something we ever circled on the calendar or even paid much attention to. Uh, Epiphany. Um, We want to set aside a little bit of time today thinking about Epiphany and uh, what it is, and um, not so much the holiday particularly, but um, some churches um, on this particular Sunday uh, will spend time around Epiphany talking about Jesus' first miracle at the wedding of Cana. Uh, Other churches and groups of churches will spend some time focused on the baptism of Jesus as a starting and launching point for His ministry. Uh, We and other churches uh, take uh, this particular Sunday and we talk about the wise men coming, the magi uh, who saw that uh, star and, and came to, um, to see the baby Jesus. But I want to start today with a bit of a quiz. You feel alert? I figure what better day than the first Sunday of the year to have a quiz. It's only two questions. Do you feel up for it? Yes. yes. All right. I'm going to tell you it's a bit of a trick quiz, okay? So I want you to arm yourself and prepare yourself. If I were in your shoes, I'd be like, I'm not answering then. <laughs> and that's okay. But number one, you ready? All right, the wise man, the magi. Um, what particular location did they encounter Joseph and Mary and Jesus? It, it was a house, that's right. Often in our mind's eye, we've seen uh, manger scenes, and, and we think the wise men are right there and um, at, at that particular moment, you know, moments after uh, baby Jesus arrived. And, um, but the Bible says, in the passage we're going to read, it, it's just small detail. I don't think it matters here and there, really. Just curiosity. I, I love trivial knowledge. I don't know about you, but it, it's a lot of fun. Here's question number two. You ready? How many wise men were there? What? We don't know. You're right. We don't really know. Yeah. Um, a tradition has it that there were three, likely because there were three gifts given, and uh, traditions even placed some names on them, uh, Caspar, Melchior, and uh, Balthazar. And, uh, but we really don't know uh, how many there were. Uh, we know there were more than one, at least, because the word used there is, is a plural word, but uh, we don't really know how it is. Um, here's... As we read the story, you can open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. Turn on your device if you're reading that way. Matthew chapter 2. And here's why we'll focus on this particular episode today. Why is the story and the moment and the accounting of the wise men coming? What's the big deal? Um, And here's, if you leave here only remembering one thing, this is what I hope you'll remember, is that in this story we see that people who are far away from Jesus are called near to Him. People who are far away geographically, spiritually from Jesus are called and a light points their way to come to be relationally close to Jesus. Here we go, Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, During the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. 
But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Father, this morning, as we open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to Your Word, we do pray that it, just like the star was a lamp and a directional pointer for the wise men, these magi, may Your Word today be a lamp to our feet and a light for our path. Teach us, Holy Spirit, we ask You now. In Your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So these magi, these wise men, uh, scholars will tell us that they were likely from Persia. Um, They held significant positions. They were um, influential men where they lived. They had political power probably, uh, spiritual clout uh, where they were from in their homelands. And they are described as those who, although are not part of the history of Israel, they're not part of the uh, spiritual faith practice of Israel, yet they're still called by God and driven and guided by this light. They were captivated by wonder. And we read in the text that they bubbled up in rejoicing as they responded to the light and they looked for God. What about the star? You know, boy, people have scratched their heads for centuries trying to understand what the star might have meant or been. Uh, Scholars have scoured through ancient Chinese calendars and records trying to uh, see and understand uh, uh, old astronomical events. And uh, some have said, well, perhaps it was a comet at a particular time racing across the sky. Others uh, wonder if it was maybe a a peculiar alignment of planets that created something for those who, uh, who know stars very well. I don't know about you, but... Um, I'm not very good with constellations, going out into the night sky and picking out constellations. Are you very good at that? I can pick out maybe three. Uh, Susan's taught me how to pick out uh, a couple along the way. I've always been pretty good at finding the Big Dipper. (laughs) That's about as far as I can go. So, I mean, the stars are a mystery to me. Um, But some who have studied it, they, they would know particularly how this alignment of planets or whatever, whatever was happening, something was noticeable to these men. And it's okay for us not to have an exact understanding of what it was. What we do trust is that the timing of whatever was going on, that God was arranging the timing for it to be just what it needed to be. In fact, the Scriptures remind us that it was in the fullness of time, at just the right moment, God sent forth the Son to do His work in His world. You know, there's a reason that the first century was chosen by God, not the 21st century. It was 
the fullness of time. The conditions were just right. And so God somehow puts a star that is noticeable by these men, perhaps two, perhaps six, perhaps three. We don't know. But they noticed the light. And they responded to the light. And they're drawn to God. You know, light has long been used to both communicate and to guide the way. My, my favorite part of U.S. history is the colonial period. You know, back the Revolutionary War. And you remember the Paul Revere episode? You remember that? Remember they, they used lantern light to, to communicate? You know, if the British are going to land by sea, it would be one way. And if they're coming by uh, land, it would be another way. Light has often and long time, for a long time, been used to communicate. It's also been used to, to guide the way. Uh, even in the Trojan War, way back uh, centuries ago, uh, big, uh, big giant torches were used on hillsides to communicate. When the city of Troy was under siege, they would light these fires so that the neighboring islands could see. And, and it was an instant communication that something was happening and they needed help. You see, light has long been used to communicate and to guide the way. Lighthouses. Oh, if I didn't grow up on the water. But I know that, that sailors love lighthouses because they both are a warning to stay away from a particular area and sharp rocks that will rip open the hull of a ship, but they also serve as a beacon to guide sailors into safe ports of call. They communicate things. That is what light has often been used to do, not just to help us read at night. Aren't you glad? Have you ever flown in an airplane at night? Aren't you glad that the pilot has a runway that has lights on it? That he or she can actually look down and, and they can follow the pathway of lights to point the way where they ought to land that airplane? I am so glad. Aren't you? I had a Ugandan friend, when he was given a flashlight, he was overjoyed that he had a light because when he walked on his pathway at night, he could shine that light down and he could see where the snakes were. I said, dude, why are you walking at night then? You're crazy. Here, have, have a second flashlight. He was so happy because it lit up the way ahead of him. You know, God provides light to these wise men, these magi to communicate something to them, that something significant is happening. And somehow they knew what it was. They, they knew that somewhere in Palestine that a king had been born to the Jewish people. God was communicating somehow to them. And the light served to point the way where they should go to discover Him. And you see, that is why churches like ours participate in missions as well. It's because God is revealing His light to the peoples around the world. And as they respond to that light with as much faith as they may have in that moment, God provides more light. And as they continue to respond, God somewhere else begins to stir a people to go and engage themselves missionally. And sometimes we step back and as a church, we might scratch our heads wondering, why has God called us there? Or why are we involved with that particular people? And sometimes we don't know the answer and that's okay. Because God is stirring at times, because people somewhere are responding to the light that He's given, and as they've responded in faith to that light, God will send missionaries to go and to embody, to incarnate the gospel, both with voice and with providing examples for how God, imperfectly in my life, but how God wants the gospel to be lived out 
among people. And so we engage ourselves in missions. In the book of Hebrews, it says that that without faith, it is impossible to please God. But God is a rewarder. He rewards those who seek Him. What is the reward? Well, the reward is the gift of His very presence in their life in a personal relationship. So that those who were once far away from God are now brought near. You see, God rewards those who seek Him. And that is why we engage ourselves in mission activity. But you know, the light has obstacles. There there are things set up in the world to deflect and distract and to prevent people from following the light and enter Herod into the story. Herod, the king of this region, Herod was not a Jewish man. He had been appointed to the throne, to his little uh, kingdom throne. He was a client king of Rome. He ruled in that area for 40 years. And you know what? He wasn't liked at all. He was not very popular among the Jews because he he taxed them a lot. They had to pay a lot of taxes. They didn't like... uh, The middle of April, every time they had to send in their tax returns, they got mad at Herod all over again. And he also put a lot of them to a lot of hard work, and they didn't like it. He was connected to people like Antony and to the Caesar. I mean, personally knew them, uh, men that we know from history. Herod was an interesting guy because he was really paranoid. He was paranoid like a lot of people in the day. He was paranoid about his personal safety. He just knew that somebody was going to come and get him and to drag him off his throne and to kill him. That was just what he was concerned about. And so he lived his life to protect his life and to protect his crown. And uh, he had two big hobbies. Herod did two things really well. His two big hobbies were killing and building. Herod loved to kill people, and he loved to build big, magnificent buildings. He was amazing. He was one of the ancient world's greatest architects and builders and dreamers and visionaries. He built the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. He built the city of Caesarea right on the Mediterranean coast. And archaeologists are continually uncovering and refurbishing that area. And they're amazed at how great of a builder and visionary he was. But he has also killed a lot of people. And out of this paranoia... He would even take members of his own family, his children and wives. If he thought you were a threat to usurp his authority and to undermine his throne, he would kill you. In fact, Caesar, Augustus, even once remarked, he said, I would rather be Herod's pig than his son. (laughs) In other words, it would be better to be an animal under his roof than his own child because the animal had a longer lifespan potentially than his own children. So here come, I want you to picture, you know, Jerusalem was not, it wasn't, it wasn't unfamiliar with international travelers. So these men come in and that itself wasn't a surprise. But their question and why they came certainly was, So they enter into, these magi enter into Jerusalem and they they go and find the man in charge, Herod, and they say, we have come to seek out the one who has been born king of the Jews. Now, what do you think Herod's response would be? (laughs) It's just what you would expect. It's just what we read here. 
It says that he was disturbed, like he was boiling inside. And all of Jerusalem was also upset with him. Because people knew that when Herod ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. It was going to be trouble for everybody. So here they come. And Herod, being a shrewd man that he was, he sends these magi off. He finds out where Jesus is to be born. He sends them off. And he says, when you find him, come back and report to me so that I too might go and worship this one you're claiming is to be king of the Jews. We know that wasn't his, his intent by any means. So off go the Magi. They find their way to Bethlehem and they're overjoyed again when they see that star leading their way. And when they find Jesus, what do they do? The Bible describes them as laying themselves low in order to worship Him, to recognize their proper position in response to this new life. And then they offer Him as symbols of their worship, gifts, three gifts. Many have tried to appoint them to symbolic gestures. Perhaps they are. There's gold given, some say, as a uh, symbol of His royal uh, lineage. Uh, some uh, say that the incense given was a, a part of the worship and so that He coming as God in the flesh is to be worshipped and so uh, a material used in worship is now presented to Him as a symbolic gesture. And then myrrh is given, a spice for burial. We have a candle here on our Lord's Supper table and it's actually a frankincense candle. So you're welcome after the service if you've never sniffed or enjoyed frankincense you're welcome to come and um, take a sniff of that if you like the magi responded to the light god had provided light to communicate something to them he had provided light to point the way where they should go and that as they followed in faith they were rewarded by discovering the jesus and they worshiped him with joy and with gifts. I don't know about you, but I don't know what 2018 holds. I certainly have some hopes. One of my hopes is that our church, as we're beginning to talk and plan, is that we will see ourselves engaged in missions again this year. I'm very hopeful that in the coming months we'll have a chance to take an exploratory trip to to Belgium and see and understand more of the work among North Africans there. I'm hopeful that in the fall we'll have a group be able to go to North Africa and to see some of our mission partners work there and understand what God is doing. But you know, with God, geography is irrelevant because He's at work. Whether it's right here, very near, or very far away, God is working. And so we engage ourselves both over and far away, but also right here. And I hope that you'll be challenged this year. I hope that I'm challenged to look right around me in the lives that God has planted around my life and that I would seek ways to carry light to them, to give them the light of Jesus, to point their way so that they might also know the Lord Jesus. That's what I'm hoping for in 2018, in part. You know, we gather around the Lord's Supper today because as we... We enter into that which God is doing. The Scriptures remind us that, that we, I, you, who were once far away, relationally, we were once far away from God, but it's through the blood of Jesus that we are brought near to Him. And so we, 
participate today in the Lord's Supper. And it's a reminder of the spilled blood of Jesus that He shed it willingly for you and for me. That the bread that we we have is a reminder that His body was broken on the cross. And he, He came on purpose and He came in flesh so that His body might be broken and battered. So that He might take and absorb your sin and mine into Himself. So that if when, when we receive His forgiveness, that we might be washed clean and made new. And so we remember that every time we partake in the Lord's Supper. We're reminded today that the light has come for all people. And Jesus' coming wasn't just then and there. Certainly He came to a very specific spot on the map. And He came at a particular time on the watch, no doubt. But it's not fixed there. His coming doesn't stay there. We sang about it today, that we believe that Jesus is here with us even today. Do you remember singing it? I believe He is here now, standing in our midst. His purpose is not limited to time or location. Jesus has come to you and He is with us today. It doesn't matter if you're from China or Chile, from Canada or Korea, from Belgium or Brazil, Jesus comes to you. Your geography doesn't matter. Your family lineage doesn't matter. Jesus has come to you. And He's also here today. That enduring, lasting image of a star a sense of timelessness with stars. You know, the same stars that David, the poet, would go out and see under the night sky and write psalms about are the same stars that we gaze upon in our night sky today. There's a timeless sense to star gazing because it's a reminder to us that God endures and He's persistent and He desires to connect with you and with me every day. So today, in this first Sunday of a new year. My hope for us is that like the wise men, we will celebrate that we who were once relationally far from God through the blood of Jesus have been brought near in friendship, in service, and in love to Him. Would the deacons please join me here at the front? Broken bread and poured out cup. Images of Jesus' life and His death and His love. The reminders that without them, we, we don't really know and cannot have the life that He gives. But through them, we who are far away are brought near in friendship to Him. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, He took bread and He broke it and He gave it out. And he blessed it. And he says, this is my body, which is broken for you. Father, we thank you so much for Christmas and for this reminder today that we who were once far away have been brought near because of your work on the cross. Help us to be reminded deeply of that today, to celebrate and to rejoice in it that Your light has come into the world. Let us delight in it now. In Jesus' name, Amen.